Good to see you all. There, that's better. Happy New Year. Great to be here with you. We uh, have uh, not changed our method of operation here at Hope. We're, we're in a new year and we're back in the Bible. So can you open up to Mark chapter 1? We're going to finish off this chapter. And, uh, and then we're going to um, uh, have communion at the end of the service. But just uh, a couple of things. If you are um, a member here, we're going to have our members meeting on the 17th of January. So please well, not please be there. You need to be there so we can vote and make our quorum and all of that. We're going to be voting in new members, which is exciting, and on a few other things. Uh, it's also going to be one uh, w- uh, a meeting where we sort of look forward to the year coming and make some plans and share sort of our vision from Vic and myself. The Sunday, uh, the, during the sermon, we're actually going to take a break from our usual preaching and, and actually look forward to the new year and uh, talk about uh, our vision for the year um, and, what, and our mission for the, for the year to come. So please be there for that. And uh, is there anything else? Oh, yeah, the agenda for that members meeting will be emailed out to all those on our emailing list at some point today. Please, uh, if you want to get that email and you're not, you haven't, uh, you don't, you don't, you're not on our emailing list, just uh, let somebody who looks like they know what they're doing know, and we'll put you onto the list. <clears throat> but by now, I'm sure you're in Mark chapter one. We are. This is a fast-paced gospel, and you wouldn't know it by the pace we've been going. It's been three weeks. We're not finished chapter one yet, but also it's been it's actually been time-wise about six weeks because we had a few breaks there for Christmas and Vic preached and whatever. But what I do want you to get into your mind that this is a fast-paced gospel. Mark just shoots out these stories after stories of all that Jesus was doing because his aim is to communicate that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah of the Jews, come to save the world, who is establishing a kingdom. So he doesn't go into lengthy expositional explanations of the Old Testament like Matthew does. He actually doesn't even uh, write down huge amounts of Jesus' sermons compared to like Matthew or Luke. He's actually quite brief. He's succinct because he's fast-paced. It's uh, one of the words that comes up over and over again in his gospel is the word immediately. Immediately he went to do this, and then immediately people asked him for this, and immediately he went to do this because it's, it's, a, it's a rolling momentum that builds through Mark that climaxes in his crucifixion. But uh, what, what I want you to see is that, and what we'll be looking at today, as we have in the last couple of weeks, the stories are, are true. We need to make very clear the Bible is true. Mark's telling true stories that Jesus actually did. We don't believe in myths. We don't, they're not just fables. They happened but he includes them in the order that he does and in the context that he uses them to illustrate points. Sometimes, like we saw last time we were in Mark, the illustration or the message you need to get is that Jesus is king with authority over the created realm, over people's sicknesses, over the spiritual demonic realm. He's king over all things, and he was flexing his authority. But that still legitimately happened. It wasn't just a, a metaphorical story Mark came up with. And so also today we're going to see him heal, and we're going to see him uh, uh, heal a leper, and we're going to see as well that this actually happened. It was true. He did lay his hands on and heal a leper. We're going to look at the underlying reality and truth that's going there. So we'll get there, but the, 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 the reading will begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 34. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, and it will be on the screen behind us, but if you have a Bible, I, I invite you to open it and follow along yourself. Verse 34 reads like this. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. May God bless the inerrant, perfect reading of his authoritative scriptures to us this morning. Well, here we're going to see a few things. I want to start out by, by pointing out the, the ministry priority of Jesus, the the reason that he came, the reason that he did what he did for those three years while he walked about, while he did his uh, healing, casting out of demons, teaching, we're going to look at that. And, and, and he speaks about it in verse, uh, verse 35 to 39 there, when he kind of rebukes the, the uh, disciples with his action and with his words. See, in verse 35, it says, rising very early in the morning, not because he had a screaming infant, but because he had a, a yearning desire to go and speak with his father. How many of us are making that kind of sacrifice? How many of us are looking at Jesus and already we're very aware he's the perfect one, I fall very far short of him. Rising very early in the morning, the book of Luke tells us that it's still dark. Daybreak is just about to crack over the horizon, so he is up early to pray. And he departed and went out to a desolate place to be alone with God, and it says, there he prayed. To Jesus, bringing the prophesied kingdom to this world in obedience to the scriptures and in obedience to the Father was his priority. He had these, these two things continually coming out of his mouth and continually controlling his heart, which we would do well to follow after. One was to fulfill the scriptures. This is constantly on Jesus' mind. This, is, this defines the ministry of Jesus, that he was doing everything in order to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah and King. And everything that he was doing was also in obedience to the Father, so that if, if something would, would not fulfill an Old Testament prophecy, if something would be against a prophecy, or if it was in disobedience to the Father, that was outside of the, the repertoire of Jesus. He followed in obedience to to his father, fulfilling the scriptures. These two veins define Jesus' ministry. And therefore, how do we stay, stay in sync with the scriptural commands? And, and how do we stay intimately related to our father in heaven? We pray. That's what Jesus taught his disciples by word coming up later, but by action now. Our father who art in heaven he taught them to pray, but here he, he shows them. 
And in this, he leaves a, a heavy rebuke for us and, of course, for his disciples who woke up a long time after him and came looking for him. We do read in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, and, and, and you know we're looking at Jesus and we go, he was up early because he's God. He doesn't need to sleep. That's cheating. Don't put that on me. But friends, he was in the flesh. We, we just heard in the, in the creed he was truly God and yet in true human nature. It was dark for him. We, we said last week he couldn't walk around and light up the alleyway with his face because he had some halo around it. That, that wasn't it. He was a human. And he was tired and he grew weary. And we looked at all of this. But the reality is that Jesus, Hebrews 5 tells us, was heard in his prayers not because he was the son, but because of his reverence. When he offered up loud cries and petitions, he was heard because of his reverence. And so he prayed as a, as a perfect example for us and the fulfillment of him, of, of a human who would perfectly relate to the Father. He prayed. And then we see the, the great contrast between him and his disciples who had not yet learned all that they were to learn. Look at verse 36 and 37. Us. This is what we would do. This is us in the story. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, which sounds honorable. They're looking for Jesus. That's a good thing, right? No, they come with rebuke in their mouths. Because they desired not fulfilling of the scriptures and not the honoring and obedience of God, because they, they preferred the, uh, the, the, the crowds and the popularity and they were disciples of the world, those who loved fame, because of that, they were pulling Jesus away from prayer. They found him, and the word here, searched for him and found him, that sort of phrase is like, they, they were eager to find him as if he'd done something wrong. Like they were looking for him. They were seeking him out because he had apparently forgotten the itinerary that the apostles, or not yet, the disciples had written out for him. Jesus, 5 a.m. on uh, Tuesday morning, you wake, you make us miraculous breakfast. Then you do more miracles for the crowds, and then we start charging a couple of pennies a pop. This is the itinerary Jesus. He didn't read that. So rightly, they come and rebuke him and tell him, mate, everyone is looking for you. You've disappointed the crowds. We all woke up. You weren't there. We're all embarrassed. Our main uh, event has gone walking off in the mountains. Do you know how embarrassing that is? You got Andrew up on the stage trying to do fillers with jokes, and he's terrible. Come back, Jesus. But this is so, so, uh, so similar to us. This is, we, this is where we see ourselves here. Everyone's, everyone's wanting uh, something out of Jesus other than what his priorities are. This is where discipleship and mastering comes into it. Discipleship, as, as us being led into the obedience and the lifestyle of Jesus, we must always come to Scripture, to the Lord Jesus, ready to hear his commands with a bended knee and a humble heart. You must come with the assumption, whenever you come to church, whenever you open the Bible, just assume your, God is going to say something that you disagree with. Assume that. Every time we come to hear from the Lord, he's going to tell me I'm wrong about something and that I need to repent of something. If, if we have always that mindset, we keep ourselves from this embarrassing situation of trying to get the Lord on our timetable. So here he is, Jesus patiently and mercifully, having his prayers interrupted, he said to them, let's go. Let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. 
The, 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 the disciples wanted the crowds. Jesus wanted to go and preach the kingdom. So because his, his mindset was obeying Scripture, uh, obeying the Father and fulfilling Scripture, his, his, his actions, therefore, if his heart is Scripture and God, his actions are prayer and preaching. That was the ministry of the Messiah that, that he saw, commanded by the Lord, prophesied by Scripture, praying to him in intimacy, preaching about him in power. And so he said, let's keep going. I came to preach. That is why I came. That's why I came from the virgin's womb. That is why I came from heaven. That is why I came out of my, my obscure home up in Galilee. That is why I came out early this morning. However we take that coming out to mean, Jesus came out to preach. That is the ministry of the Messiah. And so he says to them, of course, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with healing. He was doing it. There's nothing wrong with what he was doing. It then says in verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And we know that where he did those, he was also, Matthew and Luke tell us, he was also healing people. There's nothing wrong with healing. There's nothing wrong with fulfilling the, the prophecies that said that the Messiah would heal. So what's with Jesus' rebuke here? And, and really, what is with his almost callous attitude towards the crowds that are surrounding Peter's house where they think he's sleeping? Andrew with the sideshow going on. They're waiting for Jesus to come and heal. Crowds of them waiting. And Jesus leaves them unhealed. Demons still resident inside of them. Coughs, ailments, lame people, dying people. He leaves them in that state to go and do something that is far superior in his priority. And that priority was preaching the kingdom. Because if he had come and he healed everybody, but he had failed to proclaim that he was who, who the scriptures pointed to, that he had come to enact salvation and bring redemption, then he would fail in his ministry. And though many would, would die later on, and they would, they would die healthy, and they would die happy, they would die eternally. And the, the ministry of the Messiah was to bring eternal life through his preaching and his death. The, the Old Testament that says, even in Isaiah 9, as we looked at over Christmas period, when it says that uh, on, on those who have walked in darkness, a great light has shone. Right? This breaking of the light in the kingdom on, on those in darkness, that light was not talking about healing. It was not talking about even demons being cast out. The supreme reason that there is light bursting forth is because Jesus would walk among them take their, their long-closed scrolls or their Old Testaments that were so frequently misunderstood and misapplied and mistaught and covered over with religion and laws and damnable teachings. He broke those open. He explained to them the Scriptures and the people began walking in light. That was the work of Jesus. And so it says that he, he walked throughout all of the towns, synagogue to synagogue. Remember, the, the synagogue was not the temple. These were sort of the mini local churches of the Jews, if you will, in all the towns where they had a teacher and a few dozen men if it was a small town. And he would go into them and resident, uh, sorry, traveling teachers were allowed to come in and preach. Jesus took the opportunities. He went into those places, explained the word, and healed and cast out demons. That was the ministry of Jesus. But we have to, again, look at ourselves and ask, how many Christians are 
are very, very hungry for really nice churches with padded seats or just nice curved plastic seats will do and friendly faces and great food and just a nice Christian veneer where I'll come and be complimented and and people will be friendly and there'll be plenty of services and ministries and programs for me and my family to to minimize my responsibility of leading and discipling my children and and I want to come to have all of this done for me and 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 great shows and great uh, productions and all of these things there's in every one of us, this, this disciple that we read in Mark chapter 1, that wants a lot out of Jesus other than the preaching of the Word, that they want a lot out of the spiritual life but miss, miss the priority. If we want to focus on Jesus primarily, we have to focus on the ministry of the Word of God. So that when Jesus came, he preached. When he rose up disciples, he taught them to preach. When he sent his spirit to empower the apostles, they went about preaching. And the church, whenever it is at its strongest, is a preaching church. So, so I pray that we would be a people who say daily, and, and of course every Sunday that you come here, feed me the word of God. It is my life. It is my bread. It is the light in the darkness. That is what we need to be, a people hungry after the word of God. And may we be so more and more. So now we look at this, this, in fact, we're not even going to go on to the next section yet. There's something I promised that I would explain. If you go back to verse 34, you'll see it. This thing that comes up in Mark, and theologians call it the messianic secret. The messianic secret, which is that, that there's this theme throughout the book of Mark. It sort of pops up in the other Gospels, but especially in the book of Mark, where Jesus seems to keep a tight lip and seems to uh, suppress and, and shut up all those people who know that he's the Messiah. And you read this, and it's confusing, because you thought we were supposed to go and preach to everybody, and all these great opportunities come up, like free pop, uh, publications from the demons. He walks into a town, they all start screaming and saying, he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. Why would he stop them? That seems good. And, and I've even heard sermons preached or devotions done on these verses, and people say, you know, this is... This is uh, uh, exemplary of the Christian life. Sometimes, you know, there's so many people always trying to speak the word of God. But to many of us, Jesus would say, speak nothing. What? What? You speak nothing. Stop writing books. That's not the application of the Messianic secret. Let's open it up and look what it is. This is so specific to a time in Jesus' ministry and not normative, and it definitely doesn't overshadow the Great Commission, which he finishes with to the whole church, but let's, let's jump in. Verse 34, uh, we see this uh, happen when he heals the demon-possessed man, and he tells him to be quiet, and then it says to all, the, sorry, he, speak, he tells the demon to be quiet that he casts out of him, and he says to the demons that they were not allowed to speak because they knew him. Like we said before, they were telling everybody within earshot, this is the Messiah. And also it happens over in, uh, well, verse 45 of, of, sorry, verse 44 of today's passage. It says that Jesus said again, say nothing to anyone. We see it happen in chapter 5, verse 43, when he tells um, the, uh, verse 43, he says, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this when he raised up the little girl from death. 
He also says it uh, throughout chapter 6. He will then say, and this is the, the, big, uh, uh, the big text that this sort of doctrine centers around, in Mark chapter 8, verse 30, when, when, when Peter says, you are the Messiah. I know who you are. You're not Elijah. You're not one of the prophets. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, tremendous. Now shush. Tell no one. Keep it to yourself. Why? Why does Jesus do that? Well, the reality of the messianic secret was because of what we've just looked at. Jesus came to preach the kingdom. He came to open the scriptures. He came to obey the Father, and therefore he had to stay focused and cut away distractions, and even, if he could, lead the people following him for them to not be distracted by their own hearts and all the other things that were going on. And the reality is that if if, it got, if word got out that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, it would have carried with it tremendous misunderstandings because there was already in the mind of people that they thought they knew what the Messiah is. They, they thought they knew what to expect. And therefore, if it, the word got out that there's a Messiah, the, the, mis, the, 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 the connotations would be entirely wrong. So if they thought, you know, uh, the Messiah will be a healer, here's a healer who's coming, then... What we In Luke's version of this passage, it actually says that Simon came to say, where are you, Jesus? Everyone's looking for you. And then he says they wanted to keep him in their town. They had found a healer, a Messiah dude. Let's keep him in our town, resident healer. We can start charging. This will be great for us. They didn't understand. They were easily distracted. Or maybe it wasn't a healer. They had thought he was going to be the king, which the Old Testament also pointed to, then, then what they would have done is like in John chapter 6, they would have tried to take him by force and put a physical crown on his head and make him a king over Israel. Also a misunderstanding. Or if they'd understood the Messiah to mean a, a military leader, then they would have tried to uh, give to him the control and charge of the forces of Israel. Also a misunderstanding. Or they, they would have, and this one's a bit tricky to get your head around, if they had realized he was the Messiah, they wouldn't have killed him. And we go, well, good, because then that, you know, that was a bad thing to do. <clears throat> they would have not killed him for the wrong reasons. Because, mark my words, they still would have wanted to kill him. But if the whole Israel had, had understood and, and it was public knowledge, this is the Messiah, we all know, you know, I know, I know, you know, you know, I know, and so we can't kill him. But man, we want to. He's preaching against our riches and preaching against all of our sin. They, they wanted to kill him. So Jesus said, don't tell them that I'm the Messiah. Let them walk in their sin. Let them crucify me. Then they will be judged. And by that crucifixion, I will bring life to all who repent. So there's this, there's this ongoing theme throughout Mark that Jesus does not want the wrong publication. He doesn't want people also coming to him for physical healing. If everybody would hear that there's a healing Messiah, it's him. He's fulfilling Isaiah 53 about healing. He's, he's fulfilling the, Isaiah's prophecies about him bringing the light in that way. Let's all flock to him. And Jesus did heal all who came to him. But if he did that, the, the, the background message that would be coming was not one of needed repentance. It would be one of approval. And, and kindness, and, and that's not necessarily bad that it would be kind. He was kind, but it would be a sense of approval that he's healing all because that's your biggest problem. You're just sick victims, and I'm here to help. 
What Jesus did was hold back the healing, push down those distractions so that over all things he could preach, proclaim repentance for the king had come and demanded allegiance from those who were his enemies. So he came to preach. That's what makes sense of the messianic secret. People would misunderstand it. It would be entirely uh, uh, distracting. And that's what we see happen in the account of the leper. So now look at (coughs) verse 40. And we will see how this account plays out. Verse 40, it says that a leper came to him. And if you're familiar at all with your Old Testament, I know, like we said last week, you've all been reading Leviticus as a part of your new Bible reading plan of 2021. And and if you memorized, like I did, chapter 13 and 14 this last week of the grand book of Leviticus, uh, then you would have realized, you read this verse, you're you're drawing back. You're, You're cringing. This leper just broke the law in the presence of the guy who wrote the law. This is bad news for the leper. Because a leper in Leviticus 13, now in the Old Testament and definitely in Jesus' time, the word leprosy really came to, to mean just uh, any, any skin disease that would rot, uh, kind of even it would apply to mold that had gotten onto clothes or infectious for humans and, and mold or sicknesses and fungus that could grow in houses. And So they had all these rules that if you had been found with a disgusting spot, right, morning of the formal, you wake up grade 12, you got this huge zit, they called it leprosy, oh no, what do you do? And what you had to do was you go to the priest and you show the priest and, and, and the word of God gave them all different categories. Look, if it's, it's real gross, if it's yellow, do this, if it's raw flesh, do this, if it's got hair on it, do this, you know, it, it's pretty gross. Uh, and, and so it goes through all these things and what they had to do was if, if the Levite priest looked at it and went, I... I can't confirm this is non-leprous or non-infectious. They would isolate them for seven days. Harsh. And then at the end of the seven days, they would come again to the priest, and the priest would have a look at it. And if by that point it had, it had closed up or it wasn't spreading and it wasn't a harm to the community, this was God's way of, of protecting a widespread famine, uh, sorry, uh, plague, if it didn't look like it was going to spread, then they were able to, and it was all gone, they were able to come back into society. If at that point, though, it did still, he wasn't sure, then they would go for another seven days, totaling 14 days isolation, funded by himself in a hotel. And then after that, then they would come back to the priest, and the priest would look at them, and if it had continued to spread, not healed, and the Levite would declare them unclean, so that ceremonially, ceremonially they could not come into the temple to worship. In fact, they were not even allowed into the city. They had to cover their upper lip. They had to uh, dress in ripped clothing. They had to cry out aloud, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. There was rules about how, how far people would stand upwind and downwind from them because God wanted people to be uh, uh, safe from these sicknesses. They would be out in the desolate places and leprosy became a terminal destructive disease. It was. We're going to look a little bit more at it later, but, but that's the rules. If you've been declared unclean and a leper, you're not allowed to touch anybody or they're unclean. You're not allowed to enter the city because you have been declared an outcast. And so here's Jesus in the town and a leper comes up to him. And imploring him and kneeling, 
Some versions of that translation might say, putting his hands on his knees. Or it seems like he's, he's jumping down to his knees in, in reverence. Whatever it is, he's far too close to Jesus. He's, he's, he's at risk of breaking the law, but Jesus also breaks the law. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. There's a, a cry of faith and, and uh, desperation. Moved with pity, verse 21 says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You are not allowed to touch a leper. Yet here's Jesus. Breaking the, the surface level law for two reasons. Because he, he wrote the law. That's his law. But also because he understands the spirit of the law. Why are you not allowed to touch lepers? So that you don't get sick. Why are you not allowed to touch lepers? Because the unholy will make you unholy. Now, what's the problem here? The, 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 the solution, really, that Jesus can touch the leper because he's not going to get sick. He's going to do the opposite. He's going to unsick the sick guy. So it's okay that he's going to touch him. He's, not, he's going to stop all possible future spreading. But also, a, a tremendously significant point is happening. Remember, Old Testament, anything unclean touches something clean. It's cast out for a time. It can't come back into the community until the next day. Anything unclean touches something clean, it's unholy, it's defiled. And here we see something so, so holy. Not that if something unclean touches it, it's a disaster, but so magnificently holy, defining holiness that something unclean touches it. And instead of the uncleanliness transferring, the cleanliness transfers. It's as if you were, you were seeing the Ark of the Covenant carried around the people. And instead of them being unclean, touching it, it's, it's touching people, making them holy and fit for the holy of holies. It's, it's unthinkable to the Jewish mind that Jesus would do this. He reached out. You can imagine the rest of the crowd as they saw this man speaking to him. And lepers had a raspy voice because they were always crying out. And the vocal cords were being eaten from the inside. They would have jumped back, disgusted at what had happened. But Jesus reached out and touched him. Verse 41 says that he was moved with pity. That, that other translations of that and other parts of the New Testament, it actually comes out as, and being furious. The word here is angry, but we can see from what he does, contextually, it doesn't make sense that he's angry at him. It's a word for deep heart emotion. Jesus felt for this man with an anger towards sin and the curse and a compassion towards sinners and those who have been cursed. It's, it's as if Jesus, who, who came to do battle with the serpent, who, who, who remembers the day that he looked on in the Garden of Eden when that serpent tempted the woman and brought a, a curse upon this whole world, that snake whose venom had infected and affected everything and everybody, before Jesus stood a rotting falling apart, dying, snake bite victim. He was angry. He was moved with compassion towards him, angry towards the curse, and he touched him and undid the work of the devil. He undid the curse of sin, at least as it appeared in his flesh. And what is so amazing is it doesn't just say that he healed him. It says that immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
So it's miraculous enough that right in front of him, his face became whole, his, his, the, the noses, the fingertips, the, the ears that would so often fall off a leprous person, they were coming back. This man was healed before their eyes and not just healing, but spiritual cleanliness. It wasn't just well, he was able to draw near to God. An amazing act done by Jesus with a simple word, be clean. And so there, again, we see <coughs> what Jesus commands this man to do. This instantly healed man, he then says to him, verse 43, he sternly charges him and sends him away, not because he's angry, not because he, he doesn't want him around, but because he wants this man to be able to reintegrate into society. He says, go off and go to the temple like you're supposed to, offer the sacrifice you're supposed to, get the declaration from the priest that you are clean, that was the law, that to go to them, show them, they would test your body, check for spots, and then you were supposed to bring the sacrifice, they would kill it, and then you were healed. And you were pronounced clean to everybody. Jesus says, I want you to live your life as normal. Go back to your family, provide for your wife again, look after your kids, go back, be clean. But in case you thought I didn't care about the Levitical law, because I just broke Leviticus 13 by touching you. Go fulfill Leviticus 14 by doing the sacrifices. Jesus cares about the law. He sends him to do that. And really what this also would have done was, it would have, would have testified to Jesus as, as one who upheld the law, which the Pharisees were claiming he wasn't doing, and also that he was a healer. Imagine a man who was diagnosed with a terminal illness, dying, out in the deserts, unclean, leprous. He comes up to the Israelite priests. He brings a sacrifice. They assess him. They confirm this man is healed. They, they sprinkle him with the blood. They go through the whole process, and here he is healed. And they say, friend, how did this happen? And he says to them, it was Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth. He healed me and sent me here to fulfill my dues in the temple. The the Pharisees would have been ready. The priests would have been prepared for when Jesus came to them to preach to them again. Or at least we can speculate. Because what he did was not exactly what Jesus said. It, it seems to make sense that he did go to Jerusalem. He did go off for his sacrifices because otherwise he wouldn't be able to reintegrate. But all the way from up north through down to the southern parts of Israel, he was telling everybody he could about what had happened to him. Every town that he stopped in to go and on his way to Jerusalem, where he was supposed to just go straight there, talk to nobody, he spoke to everybody. And so Jesus, it says in verse 45, uh, because he'd gone out, spread all the news, Jesus could no longer go into a town. As soon as he came far off, people would see him, send out all the lepers, send out all the sick. They would amass huge crowds. And Jesus' ministry was, which we spoke about in the Messianic Secret, in some way, it was changed, at least uh, from his point of view and his way of planning, of course, all according to the sovereignty of God. But we see something here. We see something here of a deeper healing, and this is what Mark wants us to see in the healing of the leper. Leprosy, as we, we said before, the, the Old Testament, leprosy was just an umbrella term applied to all skin diseases, but but leprosy, as, as it, had, it really, the, the, the main disease that it spoke of was this destructive, internal, incurable disease. It started with all of the, the skin uh, 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 molds and wounds and ulcers 
What would happen was that the, 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 uh, they would, the disease would attack the nerves. Is that what they ended up finding out was really that most of the injuries of those who have modern-day Hansen's disease, back then leprosy, most of the injuries that they incur are self-inflicted because the nerves are so ruined they can't realize that something's burning hot. Grab something off the stove without realizing it. They wonder what's burning. It's their fingers. They're, they're scratching themselves. I don't know if you've ever walked in after gardening or something realize a massive amount of blood is gushing from your leg. Well, how did that happen? When did that happen? I've ruined the couch. Uh, uh, the, the, it, well, that's like what it was for a leper. For a leper, all the time, he would wound himself, not know. He starts bleeding out. He doesn't know. He's got a, a huge injury on his head. He doesn't understand it. And so this would also introduce infection and destruction. It was a disease that had outward effects but was a rotting inward disease that made them unclean. The flesh, the bloods, the bones, they were all affected. There was not a, 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 a part of that man's body that was not rotting. But we see here that leprosy is, is shown to us often throughout Scripture. And of course, in the Old Testament, it was emblematic of, of the sickness that sin is to us. Sin is that spiritual leprosy that makes us unclean, unworthy of being among God's people and in God's presence. It's that sickness which, of course, has outward effects, but its cause is deeper. It is inward, affecting the heart, the blood, the bones, every part of you, your, your will, your desires, your actions, your thoughts. It's all affected by sin, and it's incurable. It cannot be fixed by any human medicine, religion, or task of what nots and do nots to do. Sin is that spiritual leprosy. It also has uh, self-inflicted effects on us because of the inward disease. But Jesus came, and he invites spiritual lepers to come to him. If you ever, maybe it was a couple of years after Jesus had left the earth, right? And you're walking throughout Jerusalem and you find a leper. And you say to him, how long have you been sick? Oh, 10 years or so. Why didn't you go up to Jesus when he was on earth? You, you could have been healed of this. And they, and they said to you, I couldn't have gone to Jesus. I am way too leprous. I'm dying. I'm sick. I'm unclean. He could not have cured me. You would have permission to tell that man that he is wrong. He's dying for his own faults. There is no re the reason he is not healed is not because Jesus could not clean him. It is because he did not come. And so the cry goes out to every sinner, your friends and family, this whole world and those sitting here who are apart from Jesus Christ's salvation. You, no matter how unclean, must come to him. Come to him with faith and believing. Even if you're filled with doubt, come and he will save you. If you look to his death in your place, where at the end of the gospel, he will go and he will die a crucified death for your sin. He will be buried in the ground for your iniquities. He'll be cast out and cut off for our uncleanliness. And he'll be raised on the third day in power to give you eternal life. And he ascended to heaven to seat you in him and him on the throne of God forever where he reigns and rules for us. We are told, go to Jerusalem. 
Go to that heavenly Jerusalem. Be there. Go there and do what the king commands you. Enjoy your salvation. Enjoy your spiritual healing. You have been commanded. Come to Jesus and be saved. But we see here this element of substitution. We said earlier that the leper, unclean, would have to go about in desolate places, unable to enter the town. We're told in Isaiah that in a part of Jesus' healing ministry, the prophecy was that he would carry our diseases. He would bear our sicknesses. At the end of the story, we see the man healed, the man able to reintegrate, and Jesus cast out. Jesus unable to enter the town because of what he did for that leper. Not because he's now unclean, but because this was the effect. Mark wants us to see what what happens in our salvation. It, It never comes without a cost. If you are healed while you're out in isolation, you still have to bring a blood sacrifice. And that blood sacrifice was was so emblematic. What they would do, they would bring two birds. One bird would be killed and bled into a bucket of water, body thrown away. And then the second bird would be dipped into the bloody water of the other bird and then let free. And then the blood would be sprinkled over the healed leper and they would go free as a symbol. There is salvation. There is freedom. There is healing. But always at the cost of a life. Always at the price of blood. This is Jesus. Our sacrifice. We can be healed. We can be cleansed. We can be holy and righteous and forgiven and saved because he was cursed, killed, bled for us. Believe this today and you may go free. Believe this and you can be healed. And those of us who know Jesus Christ, let us be those who are hungry for the word of God. We're not distracted by all the other things we might get out of some Bible teaching, some good finance advice, some family restoration, some, some knowledge, some maybe even a prayer of healing. None of those things are primary. Are you coming to Jesus for his word, for his salvation, for, his, for repentance on your part and lordship on his part? That is why he came. Let's pray. Father God, the contrast could not be clearer. Jesus, the righteous one, And we, like the disciples and like the leper, we are disobedient, minds filled with the things of this earth, always sinning, breaking your law, unclean and unrighteous. But you did come, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you came and you came to heal the spiritual sick. You came to to lead those who are foolish but would come to you for guidance. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and so, so merciful. We pray, Lord, that you would extend your kingdom, expand your rule and reign. Let your gospel go out with power and save souls from hell. Save them from their lostness in sin, from their unclean living. Today, Lord, may those who have gathered all be found in Jesus Christ. May they please be repentant of their sin, turning away from the lifestyle of it, coming to you for salvation and lordship to live for your glory. And everybody said, Amen.